0: Welcome. Happy Easter. It's the second Sunday of Easter in the Christian calendar. Easter goes eight weeks up to uh, Pentecost Sunday, and we're in the midst of a conversation called Witness uh, that has to do with uh, the witness of the church and the Holy Spirit in Acts to the resurrection of Jesus and how that kind of rolls out in the world and in the life of the church. Uh, the cave, that, uh, that has been a theme, I guess, for me in, uh, COVID. Personally, I remember last April about this time, uh, talking about how, uh, my, I was gonna go into the cave, which was my office, uh, which, which, uh, is this little room in this big cavernous church building that has no windows in the room. And I was going to go into the cave and I was going to do my doctoral thesis. I was going to write that and that COVID provided me an opportunity to kind of go into the cave. And I, you know, I feel, I feel, uh, so I did. I went into the cave and I, I feel like it's not just for doc work for me personally. It's also, uh, I don't know, uh, on some levels emotionally and existentially COVID has felt like uh, a cave, uh, our, for our family even, uh, especially in the months where we were kind of locked down and not in school, felt like our family was in a cave. Uh, we were, we were isolated, disconnected. Um, the cave is a place of darkness. Uh, it's, it, it, it's a place of uncertainty about what's next. It, and the anxiety that comes from that. Uh, and, and wondering if there's a way out of the cave and, and how long before we can get out of this dadgum cave. Maybe you felt that way too, uh, with your family or with your job or in your relationships that, uh, that COVID has been uh, a cave-like kind of experience. Uh, and the cave is not just a uh, individual experience. It, it can be a collective experience, too. Uh, it, it feels like Storyline has been in a cave in COVID. We haven't been able to see each other as much. Uh, many of us have had to draw back from our engagement with our, our neighbors and our friends around us in the neighborhood um, in uh, ways that are different than pre-COVID. Uh, we we have these weekly Zoom meetings, but sometimes it feels a bit like hibernation, Right. Uh, in a cave, I, I can't help but to think about the first group of disciples after Jesus was crucified. They went into their own cave, a house with locked doors. They, they had their own lockdown experience together. They were afraid. They were uncertain about the future. Uh, they didn't know what was coming next, but caves aren't all that bad. Um, They they're hard, they're dark, they're isolating, they're confusing, but they can also be formative. The uncertainty and the anxiety they surface reveals work to be done. There are opportunities in the cave. There are learnings to be had. Elijah ran and hid in a cave out of fear for his own life and ended up hearing the voice of God. Question for discussion. Uh, what have we learned about our life together in this pandemic what has god been teaching us leave a note in the in the chat and um, I'll queue it up what have we learned about our life together in this pandemic what what has god been teaching us
1: Um, me, I'm not near, near anything
2: to type.
0: Hey, talk to us, Jen. Um,
3: what COVID has... Say the question again.
0: What have we learned about our life together in this pandemic? What has God been teaching us?
3: Uh, that perhaps... um. Less can be more, that less can be meaningful um that you know slowing
2: down um simplifying
1: uh, is is not necessarily worse
0: mm. yeah, there's been some some forced sabbatical in this pandemic, some space to rest and to have respite that that maybe we wouldn't have had otherwise. It's a great point. Who else? What are we learning?
2: I would say uh, just the importance of people, how much we need each other. Mm-hmm. Um, family. Family is so important and it makes me think about my friends who are single that um, just even more so how they need to be, they need to feel engrafted. That is not just married people and that they have each other or people with children that single people need to feel embraced and loved. And I don't know, just the overall idea of just how much we've needed each other. And it, it's funny because before it, I think we were so busy that we couldn't write, wait to run home and to just shut out the rest of the world that when the rest of the world was shut away, we wanted to run out and go be with people, you know, and just the reminder of just how much we, we need people. We were created to be together. We were created to be social and interact, to touch each other, to embrace each other, to feel each other. Um, this whole experience has just been such a reminder of how much we need each other
0: yes I couldn't say it any better
4: John Oliver we've had some occasions to connect with some international folks we would not have had without Zoom
0: yeah what do you make of that John Marvelous. (laughs) I guess we're learning that maybe our, our community has a slightly larger geography than we're constantly, we're usually aware of. That there are people who belong to us and who are connected to us that are, that transcend our, our boundaries and our usual borders. Yeah. I suppose that's always been true, but COVID's really magnified that.
4: Yeah, Yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, the difficulty, uh, of having the baby with, in, uh, in ICU and all that. I mean, that, that there was a, there was a closeness and intimacy with that that would not have happened just through email. Mm. Thanks.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, John. I thank you for sharing that.
4: Val. Um, I would say the
1: the goodness of strangers or just that people are generally good. Um, For me, it was very strange moving in the middle of a pandemic because I moved out of a context I was very familiar with and then into one that was unfamiliar to me. And that sort of felt like a cave. Like I had placed myself in this sort of isolated area. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling like, well, I don't know the people around me and I, I can't just knock on their door in COVID, you know, but then I remember like my next door neighbor, she did knock on my door, but she stayed like far away and she like, you know, shared her number with me and reached out and was like, you know, <coughs> I'm here. I'm so glad you're here. And it was sort of like this, I don't know, this really special connection of like, People are generally good everywhere, and like Marquila said, and we need each other. Even though if I've just met you, you know, I need you and you need me.
5: Mm.
0: That's wonderful. Uh, Ted.
5: Yeah, this is um, the idea that um, the the busyness and the um, fast pace of life. You don't just automatically get a Sabbath from that by going into the cave. Mm. Um, I my I, I I my experience has been that ever since we came here, that I have been just busy and have had just as many other things going on that any slack time or spare time or. I don't know, any, any, any of the things that in my mind when we were outside and busy, I was kind of putting on, it's like, well, you know, some, sometime I'll have time to focus on this. It'd be great to have space for this. You don't just get that by not going outside more. That, that, uh, that follows, that follows you where you go as you're delivered. It.
0: Yeah. I, I imagine that the same virtual tech that allows us to connect in this way, is um, is what makes it possible to stay on all the time in the midst of a a pandemic um, through email and video and uh, yeah, there's work didn't cease to be uh, there for lots of us in this pandemic. That's a good point. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe a rest and and respite still requires some intentionality is what I hear you saying. Uh, who's this, Jewy? Hi, Jewy.
6: Hello. Share. Um, well, this is not nearly as positive, but I was just, I was just thinking about, I feel like I've learned about a lot about how different people, people <laughs> groups react to a crisis like this. Um, and maybe, maybe that's not a, as positive of a lesson to, to learn in the cave, but, um, sometimes I think we're too connected through social media and other ways of um, just, it's just, for me, I feel like some of what I've learned about life together in this pandemic is how amplified some of our differences can be. If we're being honest, like how drastically different people react to a pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. And we just, we just hear and take different, you know, so many just drastically different, opinions inside of things that I kind of wish, like, maybe I should be more disconnected <laughs> in some ways, because um, I've just learned a lot about how vastly different and difficult it is to um, coexist with people who have reacted so differently. Mm, good point. Thanks, Julie. Sarah Holland.
7: i well, kind of dovetail off of what John said, um, like having international people kind of join on Sundays, I've like through work, I've, I've learned that it is... Um the, it is possible to to connect with people through technology like you know there is there is a it all it all has to do with personal choices and the ways in which you interact with it and that sort of thing but but you know we've been doing these online classes that come before winter, and you know we have people from you know twelve different countries on the screen at the same time and you know it's it's a neat way to see kind of people coming together across uh continents and and sharing and growing together and and um in ways that we could do before, but we just didn't necessarily have the, the space or it just kind of wasn't as accepted and, and um and so, uh, so that's been good. That's been enjoyable.
0: Yeah, right on. Thank you, Sarah. Sarah Walker.
3: I think I saw a hand raised from the Reese's. But-
0: mm-hmm. I'll get to them next. Go ahead.
3: Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, there's so many things. <laughs> uh, one thing I've learned about our storyline life together is that um, whatever we've got going on is something we've all contributed to and something we all want to happen. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, and she said that their church went back to in-person, but everyone was upset because they weren't allowed to stay and visit uh, before or after the service, and they said, what's the point of even going to church if you can't stay and visit? And I was thinking how discouraging and how frustrating
1: <laughs> and how
3: mortifying that meet might be for church staff to think we're putting in all this effort to make this service happen, and people are saying that the only reason they want to come is so they can talk to each other before and after, and that just... Mm-hmm. it. I miss getting to talk to you guys in a natural setting, um, in just like a free form group. I miss that, but I feel like there's a big part of us that's still here in our church service. Um, and that seems really special. So
5: Hmm.
0: thank you, Sarah, uh, Reese family. That was me. Um,
8: Uh, I think connected to what Sarah just shared. Uh, And I'm not exactly sure how to say this without uh, it sounding pretty um, prideful or braggadocious. Uh, I I think for me, COVID has revealed that um, storyline has something going uh, as far as the ways in which it understands its life and um, connection to the world. Not to minimize the disruption, of course, but I I don't have a single friend in ministry, uh, who isn't, who hasn't experienced some sort of massive existential crisis and legitimate concern of whether or not they would have a church, um, or that church folks would come back and wondering about how many people they'll lose financial angst, uh, And I'm, I'm grateful for the life that we have that hasn't, um, that, that hasn't really been a response. And again, not to minimize the disruption we've all felt and the hurdles that we felt. Um, but like, I, I don't know. I think I feel hopeful that the rhythm of life, um, the way in which we understand our embodiment to the community, uh, I think the pandemic has showed that this has some staying power, um, that this is, this is a good way to understand our life together. And, uh, I just give, I give thanks for that.
0: Yeah. Ben, can I ask, a just a little probe? You said this is, this is a good way of understanding our life together. What's the this when you say that? What, what, what do you have in mind? Uh,
8: I think that. Uh, Sunday mornings or gatherings aren't the primary expression of our life together, or we hope that they're not. We're moving towards that. Uh, that our local neighbors and our particular corners of the world are the primary, uh, interest for mission and connection. Uh, I think, I think our rhythm of honesty, um, ha- allows us to navigate really hard things. Um, so honesty both with our faith, um, how we're feeling or not feeling about God, honesty about social issues, honesty about the world. Uh, I, I think that rhythm, that commitment that was already there allowed us to be honest about the struggle of the pandemic, about um, issues of race, uh, issues of immigration, all, all the things that we've been discussing. So I think those those rhythms, those commitments, those postures are I think what i'm I'm pointing to
0: I appreciate that you know i've I've had an ex- existential crisis, but you're right it's not related to uh being being concerned that storylines somehow wouldn't make it that's just yeah that's just been my own personal cave <laughs> uh miles, what you got brother?
9: So, you know, just vamping for a moment on kind of what we were saying there. You know, it really and this probably strikes a chord vocationally for me, but it it has has struck me the number of churches that have had to make this trade-off of bringing people back in person with a financial decision um that the mortgage on the building that the um the 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 physical things we, they have invested in as a church are are forcing them to do mental gymnastics. With what they believe is is best at a human level, um, and I think it is a, a sort of a macro commentary, perhaps, on the state of our discipleship uh, as a country. That if we can't physically be in a church, we're not going to put coins in a you know in a donation tray, and uh, you know, and, and that that discipleship exists for some, perhaps, and, and I'm probably guilty of this in my own way, you know, inside of a building. Uh, and not outside of it. And so that's been an interesting tug and pull as I've just watched friends and family and Facebook and things like that wrestle with some of these decisions this year. Um, so that, yeah, uh, it's an, an interesting observation. But really, as we're exploring this idea of the cave, what I was going to say, looking at it at different angles, I think this year in a new way has made me appreciate that the cave itself is a privilege, uh, because the cave doesn't exist without, like, in your cave, you hopefully have running water uh, and a toilet that flushes. Mm-hmm. You have a DoorDash driver who can bring you lunch. Um, you have lights that come on. Um, you know, it's it's as much as any time in our community and our and our society. You know, identified this gap of people who can retreat into a cave and people uh, who cannot. Yeah. Um, You know, probably on, on point, literally as I was listening to Ben talk, a a FedEx driver bought, uh, brought a box of wine to my front door. Now I have, have wine for the month. (laughs) And I'm, you know, incredibly lucky to have that. Uh, and so I think one aspect is is, that we should think about with the cave is how, how can we create, how can we be someone that lifts up an opportunity to go into the cave for our community around us?
0: Thanks, Miles. Uh, I shared last week about how Ryan and I went to, uh, Wichita to celebrate his 15th birthday by meeting up with some of his video gaming friends, one of the serendipities of COVID, um, who also happen to be children of church planning friends of mine, uh, through Mission Alive, um, you know, One of the joys of that time in Wichita was connecting with our spiritual director, Matt, uh, from our neighborhood seminary cohort that Marquila was talking about earlier. Um, he just so happens to live in Wichita, and he works for a community development uh, ministry near downtown Wichita. And I've only seen him on Zoom, and so I wanted to see if he really existed or if it was AI, so I just messaged him and set up a morning coffee time while we were there. Um, and I will, I'll just say this about Matt. Uh, he is a contemplative ninja. Uh, his leadership has been one of my favorite things about Neighborhood Seminary. He is such a peaceful and reflective presence. And he's facilitated uh, some amazing moments of spiritual connection for our storyline group in this course we're in. Um and he does it without saying very much, which is what what's even more amazing to me. Um, when I got to the coffee shop, I was a little disappointed to hear that Matt had invited the pastor of his church to join us. I, I wanted to hang out with Matt. I didn't want to hang out with his pastor. Like I I wanted to get to know this guy that I think is a a contemplative ninja. Uh, but I should have trusted Matt. Uh, I mean he is a ninja after all. My disappointment would quickly dissipate in light of the spiritual experience that I was about to have on the back patio of that coffee shop. Uh, the pastor's name is Ricardo. He is a towering black man, and he leads a predominantly black church in South Central Wichita that he started more than 20 years ago. Uh, we spent most of the time at coffee just hearing him share his story. Uh, His background as a basketball player and a musician, his calling into ministry and church planning, the adventures of the early days of their church finding places to meet. I could identify with that. uh, Growing as a church, impacting the community, his role as the executive director of a nonprofit that helps kids prepare for college who might not otherwise go. Um, Ricardo was animated. He was funny. His long arms and hands told his stories for him around that coffee table. Um, and I asked him about his experience in the pandemic. And he became quiet and serious. And he started to share how difficult it had been for him. Uh, the church that he was serving had not had a worship gathering of any kind for more than a year since the pandemic began. Zoom wasn't an option because lots of his folks either don't have access or the knowledge to navigate the technology. Um, and he talked about how hard it was for him personally, how it was causing him to do the interior work of identity, to ask who he was if he wasn't able to be a pastor leading a church in the way he was accustomed to leading one before COVID. And then with a glimmer of hope in his eyes, Ricardo said he believed that in this season, he was in a cocoon. He had been a caterpillar pre-COVID. In COVID, he had entered the cocoon. And coming out of COVID, he believed he would be transformed into a butterfly. He'd be able to fly and not just crawl. And that, that, Metaphor of Cancun for him wasn't just for him personally, it was for his church collectively too. Uh, in that moment, Ricardo's spiritual imagination was this aha kairos moment for me. All this time, I thought I was in a cave. I thought storyline was in a cave, locked down, trying to find safety, unsure of what's next or the way out of the cave. But what if the cave is a cocoon. What if this season of lockdown is a vehicle for our transformation from a caterpillar to a butterfly? What if God is using this time to grow in us wings to fly? Jesus' burial tomb was more than a cave. It was a cocoon. It was a place of death and loss, but also a place of transformation and new life. Jesus walked out of the tomb a butterfly. He had a glorious transformed body. That locked house the disciples were huddled up in after Jesus' crucifixion was more than a cave. It was a cocoon. When Jesus walked through the wall and revealed his resurrected, transformed body, that changed everything for those disciples. That moment and the formation to follow would transform their community from discouraged and fearful to the picture we see in our text from Acts today. A community of radical generosity and sharing, a community of justice and equity, a hopeful counterculture to the domination and inequity around them. Willie James Jennings says that the picture we see in Acts 4, 32 through 35 is not just about spectacular giving, but about spectacular joining people belonging to each other in community in a transformed way that embodies and bears witness to the resurrection life of Jesus. What if this COVID cave we're in is actually a cocoon? Of transformation. I shared this with Ricardo and Matt. And we all got really excited. Matt started talking about the new imagination required on the other side of the cocoon, the opportunities for growing wings and flying. And then Ricardo asked a question, do you guys know what the butterfly does with the cocoon as it emerges from it? I didn't know. Matt, of course, Matt knew. Matt said, yeah, the, the butterfly eats the cocoon. Um, then Ricardo asked another question because he knew the answer too. Um, Do you know why it eats the cocoon? I didn't know the answer to that either. Two reasons, Ricardo said. Number one, first, it needs the nourishment. It's not yet strong enough to venture off and fly off for food. The cocoon provides the nourishment for it to gain strength and fly. And second, the butterfly eats the cocoon because there's no going back. There's no way to become a caterpillar again. And it can't stay in the cocoon forever. There's no going back, only forward. Then the three of us just sat there in silence, uh, marveling at the spiritual moment that we got to be a part of together. The name of the coffee shop was uh, Reverie. And I looked up what Reverie means because I didn't know. Uh it means getting lost in your thoughts and fascination. And how appropriate because that's exactly what we did on the tail end of this conversation. I looked at my watch and it had been almost 3 hours since we started talking. Uh, Matt observed, I wonder if what we're experiencing right now, the three of us on this patio, is part of the transformation of church on the other side of the cocoon. And I think he's on to something. Uh, what does all of this mean for us? Uh, I, I'm curious for um, some discussion uh, about what is God, what's, uh, what's God inviting us to leave behind in this COVID cocoon? And and what is God inviting us to carry forward into the future? What transformation is God inviting us to as a community? If you have thoughts about what God might be inviting us to leave behind or to carry forward, I would love to hear you share them. Put a note in the chat or, you know, just uh, start talking. I'm sure that'll be fine, too.
7: Um, I really resonate with that idea, Charles. And I, I, um, I don't necessarily know exactly what it is that we're supposed to take that, like, to take forward or leave behind. But I just, um, I've told you this before. I feel like we have been given this this amazing kind of opportunity just to 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 get off the hamster wheel for a year, and uh, and we're invited to to reimagine uh what things can look like going forward we don't just have to get right back on the wheel and um we we have learned things and so um, i'm excited to hear kind of people's thoughts but i'm i'm really uh just struck by this uh this idea of yeah not just i not trying to go back exactly like it was like like taking in the lessons that we've learned and moving forward with them
0: yeah very good thank you sir
3: uh, Sarah Walker. Um, I definitely relate to the story of the cocoon. I feel like there have been multiple points in my life where I've either made a decision or something has happened. And I think it's okay. And then it just goes way too far. Like, we're going to have a third kid. Oh, no, it's twins. I mean, who knew? And it's, like, it's just happening to you. And I know that it sounds like a dream come true, but it felt very out of control and just very like, this is not what I chose. I did not choose this. This was not what I asked for. Um, that I, I can give lots of examples <laughs> of that in my life. And what I feel like always comes out on the other side is that thing that's hardest for me to, um, to grieve or to get over. That's the thing that God's having me let go of. Like God's wanting me. So let go of the idea of um, me being in control of everything that happens in my house or let go of what I find my identity in. Um, and I wonder, I don't know, when we're thinking about things looking forward, I wonder what it's been hardest for us to let go of during COVID, and I wonder if that that's the thing that God's wanting us to let go of as we go forward. Um Thanks,
0: sir. John O. Period.
4: Yeah, I'm grateful uh, for the hybrid setup on Sunday afternoons uh, where people, where I'm able to participate uh, online with them offline. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think going forward, they'll be useful to both allow the uh, international folks to participate as well as people that are out of town on business or travel or, ranching or whatever they're doing you know to maintain connection and not let geography get in the way
0: Mm. that's a great point john thank you anybody else yes Yes, marquila
2: um i think the idea of eating cocoon resonates with me Mm. (laughs) it really does because um, I think after yesterday and today, I am realizing that there's some things I just can't go back to. Mm. There's some ideas and some um, unacknowledged traditions that have uh, just really embedded themselves in me that I didn't realize that um, that I had fully embraced, and I thought I let go. And um, even some of the discernment that we have gone through as a as an assembly, and just realizing you have got to let go of some things. You've got to eat that old (laughs) cocoon. You've got to eat it and move forward. Find the nourishment you need to move forward and have a new imagination. Hmm. And so I don't think I can do church the way I've done before. I don't think I can look at people the way I've looked at people before. I don't think I can look at ministry the way I did before. My role in ministry, my role in reaching people and who do I reach and how do I reach them? All those things. I feel like in this season, God is is transforming me, and I cannot go back. And regardless of what people may think of me or what they may, you know, who doesn't accept me more, I have to. I have to walk into this new newness of life and newness of perspective that God is drawing me into. And I feel an excitement about that. Um, I just feel real excited about that, and I feel excited about ostracism too <laughs> you know I feel excited about embracing the world in ways that I never have before and embracing extending love in ways I never imagined before and eat the cocoon on the way out <laughs>
0: hmm. wow thank you Marquila. you're gonna make a great butterfly
8: uh, Reese family uh our dog's are going crazy. We're pulling a Kellum household here. Um <laughs> uh, I I think of I, I hesitate to say this because uh when you're a hammer everything's a nail and this is my nail. But I I think it's true. I think the way forward is deeply, deeply grounded in the contemplative life. And we've, we've, I mean, the storyline already has that in our DNA. We continue to develop that, but thinking about what it means to be a faithful presence, um, releasing our need to control the outcome and even to predict what A, B and C needs to look like so that we get to the outcome but to, to continue to learn together what it means to be present um, to the person, the context, the thing that's right in front of us, trusting that God might show up and letting go of all of the previous church addictions. I mean, marquila got me going. Uh, learning to let go for the sake of that moment and what God might do in that moment. I, I think I think a part of the new beauty of our life together is going to be continue to lean in and develop and nurture those capacities of a contemplative posture, both individually and as a church community uh, with and for, on behalf of the sake of the world.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, um, we're learning about this contemplative posture, which is rocking my world as a Enneagram three achiever, performer guy that loves to at least have the illusion of controlling outcomes. Um, but I love the way that Elaine Heath, who is one of our teachers, describes this uh, posture in four steps, which is Ben, it's just a, a, a way of saying exactly what Ben just said. Number one, show up. Number two, pay attention. N- number three, cooperate with what we see God doing. And number four, release the outcomes. That, that's what it means for us to engage the world contemplatively. I, I just love that. And I think you're right. Um, I, I think it, it's a, I think it's a true, not just a coincidence that that's the nail you hit, Ben, uh, cause, uh, that's the, that's the nail that's in front of us.
3: Can I, um, add one thing to that? I love it. Um, the, the intersection of missional and contemplative is where do you show up? So if we're always showing up at church, mm. that's not like missional is, are we showing up in our neighborhoods? Are we showing up with our, you know, friends around us? Or are we showing up in this one particular place doing this one particular thing? Um And I think that that's like the idea of being on mission is not to be busier or to do more or to accomplish more. It's to show up and pay attention in the places that are right in front of us and not in an artificial environment that we create. So
4: I love it.